Hi, Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. Two teachers talking on episode 53. Uh, Charles and I get together and talk about teaching in Japan. Uh, Japanese universities teaching English. And um, against the forces, <laughs> sometimes indomitable forces. Um, today we're talking about... What indomitable um, forces? <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the, uh, the things that, you know, behind the scenes, the things that make it uh, so hard sometimes. Um, and uh, the sometimes seeming dystopia <laughs> that we uh, kind of slog through and um, against kind of you know, failure by design, I guess is what we, we can kind of call it. Um, you know, especially, uh, you know, part-time teacher uh, that I am, uh, kind of taking the infantry role. You're busy just dodging bullets all the time, and um, you don't often have a chance to really get a peek behind and see what the, the strategy is and the um, what's happening in, you know, back in, in back of you or in front of you, what you're fighting. So uh, kind of looking at uh, the bigger picture a little bit, stepping back. And a bigger picture, um, <laughs> let's go back to to last week, which is like, oh, Charles, a really kind of embarrassing omission, huh? Oh, that one? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking I, about, I, I didn't notice. I didn't notice. <laughs> I did as soon as we finished. I go, oh, man, we missed it. You're talking about school culture and all the little things that um, give a, a place, a university, uh, uh, its distinct culture and feel from the administrative end. And we talked about all kinds of subtle things to look for and what uh, can make things pleasant or easy or difficult or very unpleasant. Um, and, we, and we missed one of the, the maybe the big one. Um, yeah, we really did. <laughs> um, yeah. Do English we have language to talk, support, do we, do, right? Do we actually English have language. to talk about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to come yeah, one clean. Should always admit gotta one's, come clean. Gotta come one clean. should always admit one's colleagues' mistakes. Yeah, I mean, we were, you know, we really we thought hard. We're along. We're thinking about this and that and really tried to flesh it out. And yeah, forest for the trees. But yeah, uh, yeah, the university, I mean, how much English language support is there? I mean, do you, the information that comes out. Is there somebody there translating it? Is there someone that you can go to with a problem that you can communicate um, problems, needs, well, compliments, uh, whatever? Uh, the communication what's a compliment? Role, right? I, what's a compliment? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I totally skipped that. And it was, I think it's almost just because it's such an obvious one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. If, if you do the interview, how much of the interview is in Japanese and how much is in English, for example? Mm -hmm. Right? Are the communications in Japanese or English? Or is even the job posted right. in English or Japanese? Right? So that's a good thing to mention. We yeah, and you know, a real-world example. For exa you know, this is one of the schools, and it's um, yesterday. Uh, faculty, not a faculty meeting, it's an English department meeting. Um, they're giving the teachers information about some curriculum changes that are coming down the pike. English department, probably all English teachers. Half of the half of the room is are native speakers of English. Of course, the meeting is it was conducted mm, seventy to eighty percent in Japanese. Okay. Okay. So, like that. <laughs> okay. But the key uh, point, you know, people outside of Japan, you know, okay, you can pick your jaws up off the floor, your chin off the floor, and say, but no, that's that's part of the reality here. Okay. And it's also that even though people have been here for a while, and you think that you know, if you're living in Japan, it all should be in Japanese. The, the flip side of that is even if it is 
the meetings are if uh, Japanese, I'm just babbling here, and people's Japanese is pretty good, you're still struggling with subtleties mm -hmm. and a completely different style of communication. So that has a lot to do with it too, is how, how direct are people being with you? How clear are they being? Or how much expectation is there for you to pick up on subtleties and hints and innuendos and all the other little things that occur? Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, because yeah, yeah there, well, to, not to get too far off track here, but there was again a perfect example of that yesterday. Um, the uh, English department made a pretty unreasonable request of the teachers, uh, where they had to um, because they were behind and they were in a rush. They wanted ideas for new classes that we wanted to teach by Monday. <laughs> when was the meeting? <laughs> On Friday. <laughs> And they wanted it on Monday. the next Monday. They wanted and by it the way, three days. But, but by the way, we have to point out this is a three-day weekend. And the Monday's a holiday, right? Yes, sir. And they want it. So for those of you who not in Japan, <laughs> right, that this is not, um, what's, what, it's not unusual for that to happen. Well, the, the beauty that of the holiday would be ignored. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's uh, yeah. okay. And the beauty of it is the beauty of it was is that um, one, a, a handful of of the the Japanese English teachers they when someone said with the deadline someone asked when the deadline was for this thing and they explained that it was like three days they went ballistic they went you know the the, the natives like well you know native speakers oh, we're used to this <laughs> insanity right they well yeah there you go but. The uh, one of the people who were uh, chairing the meeting, as you just talked about the Japanese, long, excruciatingly polite response, and you could almost see the knife going into the teacher's back. The one who complained. Yes, because yeah, there's this extreme polite gracious response to their flare-up it was it was a lesson very very interesting to see mm. it was it was like creepy well, <laughs> i guess my question is and this is how we lead into today's topic perhaps is do you think that's intentional or do you think it's just people don't think it through or how did it how did this come down how long had this decision been floating around in somewhere in the university that they would require people's suggestions and by the way these suggestions are not just class ideas they require the description of the outcomes and the goals objectives right sure and a syllabus right sure sure and sure. you're required it wasn't, it wasn't a full-blown syllabus but they wanted they wanted your ideas for new classes that you wanted to teach in three days and the meeting announcement came out two weeks ago if that was their intent i mean they could have said it then, hmm. right? This is what we're going to ask you, or the, you know, the, you know, the form Be that they prepared. gave us. Yeah, the form that they gave us yesterday, they could have given us two or three weeks ago. There was nothing on the form that needed any great design. Um, and it's it's always hard to prove intent, right? Exactly, <laughs> you know, or lack like, of intent. What the <laughs> hell were they thinking, right? As, and we we sit here over and over. Um, what possible thought process is behind? this what i'm watching right now how did this happen um i don't know i don't i don't think they of course it's not intentional to punish the teachers or um 
this Maybe is the surest is. the surest way to get some crappy classes is to give the teachers three days to plan them um that can't be the intent and maybe i'm being kind um but it's it's certainly short-sighted and um you know just just sort of the general lack of competence right well what the, the problem with this is that it just doesn't sound out of the ordinary for me in well so that's many the ways, thing right that's the thing it's so and so and, and we, we will be going through the list and it's it is endemic. It it happens in so many ways and at so many levels. Um, it's it has to be by design, because <laughs> <laughs> the law of averages statistically it just can't happen this way <laughs> without human intent. It just has to be designed that way. Ah, so there we are. You know, <laughs> we have introduced the topic today's topic, which is failure by design and mm. is this how are is the whole educational endeavor of english education is it really designed for success or failure and tony i think you've mentioned this a number of times i know yeah we've it's, about one of, this. it's one of my it was one of my pet peeves it, it really is what it's it's maybe your the <laughs> pet peeve isn't it is that you maybe. really believe it's design intentionally designed for failure hmm well, let's let's okay. Let's uh, step, and let's explore that. Let's yeah, see. let's step back one little step back and an overview, right? Um, Why I believe this to be true. <laughs> the uh, at the most elemental, right? Um, the students that we that with students that we teach uh, at the university have all had six years of English instruction in junior high school and high school. Um, this English instruction. Is and, and some more, right? Some have English outside. Some some have a school, have English education in elementary schools, depending where they've been. Um, that there are changes happening right now, which may or may not affect <laughs> the reality. Um, but they've had the six years of education of English language education. But as often as not, the people who are teaching them English really aren't capable of speaking English. They can read English, they can explain grammar in Japanese to their students, but a lot of them would have a very hard time uh, having an extended conversation or, frankly, even understanding this podcast. Um, naturally. And that's mean... not because we're unclear or understandable <laughs> in any way. Well, Blabbering on is <laughs> Well, that may be. But um, so naturally, there's almost zero um communication english communication taught in the classes whatsoever um on almost all of the english education that happens in junior high school and in high school is geared toward university entrance examinations which of course <laughs> are have nothing at all to do with english language i mean communication in english it's all what is it Charles? What, how would you describe the english that, on the new sheets the entrance examinations. Um, well, the best way to put it is that usually a bunch of people are put onto the to okay. First off, let's go back and say that in Japan there is a national test which is comparable to the ACT or the SAT that all students take, and then each university itself makes its own entrance exam that mm -hmm. a student takes to get into that school. And all I can say is that I have yet to be on a committee. Um, 
I should be careful here. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we go to our sponsor's message at this point? Is that, for example, I'm not a testing expert. And I think I've been at Well, none of them are. At, well, we have sometimes there are testing experts. People really? Are, I've, I've, I've met a few. and <laughs> But what I'm trying to say is that at some of the places I've been, that the people making tests have no real background in testing. And here's where your um, design by um, failure by design, I think, is really, um, what's the word, scarily true, is that you can't modify your entrance exam because students study for a specific kind of entrance exam based on the previous year. A real catch-22, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so really... if you want to really improve your test and change the entire way of, that you're testing or measuring students, let's say, you know, high school seniors' English ability, you can't because the students are expecting and prepared for the test because all the universities publish their tests. Right. So anyway, And then so all the high the... schools teach to the test. Right, right, right. And so, so, so what you have are students who have never really <laughs> spoken English uh, and who have been, the whole English education has been that kind of instruction. So more likely than not, they come to the classroom not only not being able to speak English, but also hating English. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so, I mean, and that, so that's the, the background. <laughs> I'm talking about failure by design. So that is the situation and the question is though how did this come about or why did it come about mm. and i think that's a tough one yeah and uh, and at the same time you know no high school is going to no high school is going to change that that's because whatever it, it, any modification to teaching to that test is going to mean that fewer of their students are going to pass the university entrance examinations which, which is, means which lowers their it's a, it's a, yeah that's suicide for them because they attract students based on how well their graduates go to which which universities they get into how many and which status universities and so forth and so on and the junior high schools um the ones we're talking about that students try to get into are the ones that get them into the good high schools that mm -hmm. get them into the good colleges. So, and we have this really, really strange system here. So, so that's a, that's the backdrop, and and, and that's the, the one reality of what I I think is yeah, a really good example of failure by design. Okay, um, it's, a, it's it's there's no there's nothing there that in any way is designed to create. <laughs> A, a university freshman that is any way capable of English conversation or communication at all. Well, we has to, have to go back to and kind of maybe generalize it more to general education is that the high schools are not designed to create... What was it? Did you say create? <laughs> I said create, probably. Yeah. Okay. To develop college freshmen who are actually prepared for the intellectual experience of university that I think our generation understands as being mm. university mm. education. And I can't talk about what's happening now, and neither you or I really can talk about what's happening in the States, given we've been out of it for so long. Correct. I mean, out of the United States. <laughs> out of it is in other areas, too, as well. So I would generalize it, Tony, in the sense that I think I do get students who 
um, are fearful of wrong answers. That's part of the, of the whole, wrong. for sure, for right. sure. That's a societal thing. Yeah, right. And but very it's deep. Definitely in the education system. And this desire to answer the question by trying to figure out what answer is it that the teacher wants. Right. What's the correct and, answer? Yeah. And in that sense, I completely agree with you that it's failure by design. That once a student is seeking to answer the question in the way the teacher they think that what the answer the teacher wants, it's just, it's, it's, in, it's in another incredible vicious cycle. You can't get out, you can't break out. So we have the high school situation, right? Or right. even the junior high school, high school. And as you pointed out, sometimes students are taught English by people who don't speak English mm -hmm. or people who are not comfortable speaking English. Mm -hmm. um, their, their last few years, we've seen a lot more, I think, openness to collaborative learning, more group work, less translation exercises for students. I, I hear that and I read it. I, I'm not seeing big changes in my students. Yeah, there's no real increase in the, in the number of students who are um, have you know better levels of English. Right, yeah. And, 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 there's like, no it's, change over example, the, over the, the class years. that we talked about, one of my classes last year, which turned out great, uh, as it turned out, but... Um, at the, I talked about uh, the first class at the beginning of the year where I'm convinced that the majority of the, the kids in that class have never spoken English in a classroom. They were, when they, on the first day, and just the first day, and I'm Mr. Smiley. <laughs> really? Oh, man, uh, I am a you? big, gentle, smiley so they get, teddy they get, bear. They get one day of Teddy Tony? They get one day. And uh, <laughs> they... Where did he go? When they became aware that of the expectations that they were actually going to have to come to class, speak English, and voice their opinions, the fear and the terror in the in the classroom was palpable. They were gripping their desks with both hands, staring down at the edge of their desk, waiting for that bell to ring to release them from this horror. Um, I had to leave the room because <laughs> they were just they were petrified they they were immo immobilized they were just and i said you guys you guys got to talk you know you guys figure out what's going on here how how we're going to get past this because this is a speaking class and one way or the other you guys are going to be talking so <laughs> i'm going to take a walk <laughs> and uh, you guys figure it out as it turned out it, it came they greatly exceeded all expectations they were just wonderful but that's, that's um it was really hard work feeling. yeah yeah um so anyway so these kids out of, out of that environment um they come to the university and um they get into english classes and uh the norm is that uh, the students then have a uh, one class winning per week for 90 minutes for each class that they're taking uh, so they might have they might have more than one class but for whatever it's with a writing class or a speaking class or whatever it might be or four skills type thing the university norm is the students take one class per week for 90 minutes which is makes it virtually impossible <laughs> to teach a foreign language <laughs> i mean there's no research in it done anywhere that would support anything like that for foreign language acquisition it's insane 
Am go I on. wrong? Go, go, just go <laughs> Am on. I wrong? Go on, go on, go on. Right, I, we've talked about this so many times, right, that you, you get 90 minutes of a speaking class, let's say, or a speaking and listening class, and then you don't get anything else until seven days later. And, and yeah, 90 minutes of a foreign language is mentally exhausting, well, I don't know. Ninety minutes of almost anything is exhausting. Isn't yeah, it? listening yeah. to yeah, right. So, and if you know, you know, teachers like you know, for example, the, the natives, not the native Japanese, but the native speakers of English, um, yeah, strive to at, even at a very elementary, basic level, try to you know step it down, but teach as much as we can in English, and that's and for a lot of the students, that's that's a that's very very demanding and you know, fatigue is going to set in um and whatever you manage to get through again seven days later it's all gone well part of the problem also is the students do not understand that they're supposed to review go through their notes study and practice oh sure yeah because basic I, study skills right right it's well right we i mean we'd have to we could talk about that they come in there's been the tradition in japan until recently that university was a four-year break mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. your club met four years mm -hmm. of your life and you're building that you know networking and contacts with people it's primarily a social experience and the academic experience is very secondary to what's happening outside of the classroom in terms of their social lives and um, preparing for their life after university. But yeah, their, their academic skills um, are weak. They, and I, you know, I think we've talked about this, but to get most of my students to take notes, right? To say, look, you're responsible for taking notes during the class. I don't give you handouts. I don't give you the PowerPoint slides printed out. You have to pay attention. And I think in a lot of other classes, they're given their notes. I've, see, I've asked students and they show me that they have prepared handouts from their professors that show what's being covered in the lecture or what's covered in the lecture. So again, I'm maybe getting off base here, but is it, it's really failure by design. It's, there's strange things that are happening. The, right? the, yeah, or as the, I think, in, what in is it? Strange mind. things are afoot at the Circle K. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that it? From um, um, what? Oh, anyway, which movie? What? Ted, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, right? <laughs> strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Is how I feel. But anyway, Tony, I was interrupting you because I wanted to get my shameless plug in for a movie. It's a good movie. It's what's well, it's, it's Keanu Reeves' it. best movie. Oh. <laughs> it's his first movie. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> Have you seen it? Oh, oh, it's it's a pretty funny movie, but going back to that, the no, the lack of note taking and the spoon feeding. Yeah, exactly. The, the, Once the, a week, the 90 students minutes. are used to that kind of instruction. Right. Um, uh, that we best summed up as spoon feeding. That's what they're used to. Um, they get the information spoon fed from the teacher, uh, who often just reads from his or her notes or from a textbook, and then the the students spit it back, and. Foreign language, whatever it might be, whether Chinese, Korean, German, English, um, is taught as a purely academic subject and, and not as, as something useful or has any kind of relevance outside the classroom. Um, and that's what they're used to. <clears throat> and when um, they're confronted with this other mode of instruction, uh, they're really kind of at a loss as to exactly how to handle that. Mm. Um, 
got two other areas that I, that I really want to cover. And one, I, let's go to let's go let's stay meta for a little little bit bigger rather than the, the specific gripes that I've got. Um, but up at the bureaucratic level, right? The uh, at the Ministry of Education, uh, the people who are making the decisions that guide the universities and drive the universities and provide entire direction for where these educational decisions are made wait for it um none of them are educators none of them are educators uh in addition um then this <clears throat> i have no basis for this but i'll say it anyhow personal <laughs> suspicion uh, you might want to call it an educated guess. I don't know. An I've educated guess. Time and just, you know, kind of, this all comes from reading between the lines. Um, I think there are a lot of people uh, in government, in this, in the bureaucracy, in the bureaucracy, in business, and just in the society in general. Um, and when talk about people learning English and uh, students learning English and you becoming English speakers, etc. There's a belief, I think, uh, that a lot of the people think that this can be that you can learn a foreign language without learning its culture. And uh, the last thing that they really want, and this is again failure by design, the really the last thing that they want is students actually being fluent in. <laughs> English, which of course re would require a certain kind of cultural awareness and in a certain sense, an international experience, mind widening, worldview enhancement. Uh, there's, a, there's a thought that English fluency and this kind of cultural awareness somehow makes someone less Japanese. And really, it's the last thing that they want. You know, they, they want students to be able to make a speech in English. <laughs> they want students to be able to pronounce their L's and R's. Um, they want them to be able to function at some level in, in a business environment, be able to understand and translate. But the last thing they really want is true fluency, which would requ require uh, some kind of cultural awareness. They don't want that pollution. Again, my personal take on it. There seems to be um, some lack of interest in people becoming fluent in another culture, is mm -hmm. how I would put it, I think. And I agree with you. I, I know that, like, here's a, here's a, a strange thing that kind of I read, um, is that and i wish i remember where it was it was a couple of weeks ago maybe a couple of months ago that japanese companies want to attract more foreign employees because of you know their interest in trying to get more cre you know increase the number of creative people they have working in their companies and everyone i know who saw the article or read the article or talked about the article everybody was humored by it because the organizations themselves or the structure of the Japanese organizations, as far as almost everybody I know, would say it does not foster independence, creativity, individual thinking, entrepreneurship, right? No, it's just a stifle. Right, 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 exactly. It's almost stifling to some degree. And so here's an example of, 
you know, when you talk about failure by design, I just, my emotional, this is just my, my emotional response, my personal response was I just laughed when I read the article because it's like, are people just mouthing these words or do they actually believe it and then don't understand the connection between your organization, right? Your, the environment and the, the culture of your organization in terms of supporting creativity. Mm. So there again is, I think, a good example of failure by design. I think um, to be very concrete, you and I worked at a school that I think was completely committed to failure by design. Yeah, really, that's a very good, that was a very good example of that. Right, exactly. everything about every decision was <laughs> the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 and I don't want to go into that too much, but we both agree that we've actually been at a place where every decision that came from above had little to do with the actual benefits that could accrue to students for teaching and and actually even worse than that is that because that uh, despite the the wrong-headedness at the top um th thanks to you okage-sama uh, mm. being a very um uh, good buffer and filtering the uh, actual teaching staff from a lot of the uh, misguided policies um, for a short while, we're able to uh, bring about some significant success. I would say um, it was it was really something. We we really made some progress, and we we did some teaching. And uh, and we should point out that uh, not to blow toot our horns, we were talking about pretty low level students in terms of academic mm -hmm. ability. Mm -hmm. and their incoming English language abilities that they're so we were, were building something pretty good and they did everything they could possibly do to destroy everything that made that possible right and it's <laughs> it's so sad but it's 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 such a good example of, of what we're talking about well I do remember I was talking to somebody and they mentioned to me that the well, the program was not that popular outside of the people working in the program and that certain people in the program were not so popular because it seemed to be the best run part of the, the school. It mm, seemed to the jealousy. Be, right, or whatever reason. And mm. you just look at that and kind of think, you know, if I see some other program running efficiently and effectively and seeming to have their act together and really bringing about results, I want to say, can I go to that department, please? <laughs> right or can i copy you what are you doing that's successful so you know when we talk about failure by design we're also just talking about human beings petty jealousies and emotions and the silly competitiveness um instead of looking to seeing what works and then emulating success there's a lot of turf war and i know that goes on everywhere but sometimes i don't know whether it seems that japanese universities the turf wars are a little bit more emotional or people seem to be more invested in them i don't know but yeah hard to gauge hard to gauge that kind of thing yeah but i've seen some really silly silly turf wars i've seen some real you know silly things done but i think again when we you were talking about just the idea of a 90 minute class once a week for a foreign language right and then mm -hmm. you were saying that you know 90 minutes of students Oh, and we should point out that the basic idea is that the native English speaker teaches in English, right? We're not mm -hmm. speaking Japanese and then 
just talking English and then speaking Japanese. This is 90 minutes of English, and no matter how much a native speaker simplifies their language when explaining things and talking to students, it's still a pretty heavy cognitive load for most of those students. Yeah, and when, and when, when the teacher's not talking, it's, it's off, the, the students are engaged in speaking and trying to, trying to communicate in English, which, it's all, which is equally or more uh, exhausting. Right, but 90 minutes of that. And exactly. I know that, I know that if I'm really seriously engaged in trying to listen and communicate in Japanese for 90 minutes, let's say, in a, in a high um, information content environment, I'm, I'm just burned out after 90 minutes. I'm tired, and I know that most of my students have never, at least until my classes, will never have had the opportunity to speak English continuously, speaking and listening in a kind of a conversation or some kind of activity for more than an hour. Right. So this is like asking people who never run to go out and run a, you know, a 10K run and then not train during the week and then come back again and run again and expect for them to actually be making improvements instead and, you come you come back with people who are sore right and so the people who you know set this up um again not educators and not people who do not have true foreign language foreign cultural fluency as part of the goal whatsoever and they're they're teaching english their idea is uh, the teaching of English is a strictly academic language um, for higher test scores. Um, and the last thing that they want is for them to be truly fluent and be able to communicate. And because um, you know, the Japanese language and the Japanese communication patterns, English language and English communication patterns couldn't be more different. Yes. And um, it is, uh, and there's a, there's a, I think there's a, there's a real fear uh, at, at the base of this that, um, that somehow these students are going to become corrupted. Well, it's interesting too, um, and just a personal aside here. When um, I when my began the, my relationship with my wife, or when she began her relationship with me, I'm not sure how to exactly deal with it. And we were both we both kind of said, well, what do we want to do? Do we want to speak English or do we want to speak Japanese? My wife made an interesting point where she said, let's speak English because it's very difficult to fix a problem in Japanese. Uh, interesting. It's an interesting take because, for example, one time we were sitting around talking and Izumi turned to me and said, um, that's my wife, by the way, for those of you who don't know, said to me something like, you know, Charles, that's pretty much the stupidest idea you've ever said. <laughs> and there was somebody, I, um, a Japanese person who was obviously fluent in English, was listening to conversation and just kind of laughed and said, excuse me, I'm sorry to say that, but that's an expression that just could never be uttered in Japanese. Hmm. So I think there's, yeah, that part that it's hard to, you know, fix things. There's issues and differences in feedback and giving feedback. And can you give feedback? Um, can you tell somebody they're wrong? You know, so, right. Once you get into English and you get these completely different, uh, you know, concepts and structures of how the communication works and how one approaches issues and the way things are dealt with, it's yeah, right. Yeah, you get a f feeling, perhaps, that the system's designed so that to prevent that from happening. <laughs> well, it's the critical thinking issue. Yeah, 
do yeah. people, you know, everybody wants critical thinking and every textbook now has critical thinking in it, right? You know, there's some mention of critical thinking and I've looked at textbooks and I haven't seen anything that indicates there are critical thinking exercises because comprehension questions are, and what do you think about opinion questions are not critical thinking questions. Right. So I just, you know, it's, you know, is it failure by design or is it just lip service or is it lip service because people are just going to you know espouse platitudes and say okay we've done it now we don't really have to implement it i don't know but there is to some degree on the part of a lot of people i think and it's not necessarily the the actual educators i know that they there's not a real desire to have the students more familiar with let's say an english speaking style of communication and dealing with problems hmm. right no it's I, all yeah part of that whole big package that i think that is so for some people very threatening yeah and the best way i think to or not the best way but one way this is here's a pet peeve and talk about failure by design every school i know has t the teachers are evaluated by the students and mm -hmm. i have yet to see a school where the support staff, the office people, are evaluated by their <laughs> clients, right? <laughs> and that's Tony's laugh, which means we're going to hear something very interesting. No, no, no. I have no, I have no, I have no specifics for this. It's 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 such a great observation. But it's, it's so it's just it's amazing, right? Yeah, so, yeah, the whole notion of like support staff, right? Right. You know, just turned totally on its head. <laughs> right. For example, it would seem I, I, there are schools I know where students have told me that they are treated very, very badly by the clerical staff when they go in. That they're very dissatisfied with the quality mm -hmm. of the service. I've worked at schools where the clerical staff were just amazing. You know, where it's a joy to work. You've worked mm -hmm. at these schools mm -hmm. where people are there and they really believe. That they're there to support the teachers, the educators. Oh, yeah, it goes back to like the the last uh, episode, right? The 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 culture of the place. They they can be it can be so different, right? But here we are again, and you just have to. Add, I mean, it's again, it's that question: the failure by design. Is it really? I don't know if it's intentional. <clears throat> again, as you said, that it's really hard to prove intention. But mm. if you look at the design of it, oh yeah, and there's... and it goes, it goes you know the list goes on. Oh, continue. That's yeah, yeah, for, yeah, for example, like, for example. Um, most universities hiring, um, you know, part-time teachers, uh, have pretty strict limits on how many classes any one teacher can have at that university. One would think that when, and there's a whole other slew of assumptions going one on here, think. we're going to test, one would think that when you're looking for teachers and you find a good teacher... One, since <laughs> because it's a good teacher and you're hiring this person, you would want to maximize <laughs> the benefit and give this person as many classes as possible. Um, number one, you have a good teacher that's teaching more classes. And then the more classes that this teacher might have would, if you kind of uh, multiply the benefits because you've got more contact with the students, the teacher's there more days per week, more hours each day, opportunity for outside of classroom interaction with the students, um, more contact maybe with the individual students, maybe the same students, maybe more than once a week. Um, and uh, these uh, benefits can be amplified. But 
No. A lot of times, universities, schools have very strict limits of giving any one individual more than three classes or four classes. Right, because then they have to be semester. considered full-time. Yeah. So, you, of course, so, there, so right there you are limited. And so that means that part-time teachers will then teach at four or five different universities per week, sometimes more than one day, hustling from one school to another. Uh, if you're lucky, as, as I am, uh, teaching at only a one school each of the, uh, the five days of the, of the work week. Right. There are people um, who are teaching at two schools on the same day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've done it. I've done it. Um, it's not and something you really want to do. It's not something you want to do. It is not an easy thing. And so the part that the instructor then is completely isolated from the, the school community and school culture. Um, and exactly the other part of it, that the cultural part that makes language fluency possible um, is cut off at the knees. Mm. And the, it minimizes the, the, any kind of, for the student, any kind of support outside of the classroom or any communication outside of the classroom environment, which can be so critical, right? Um, I talked about, uh, for example, um, the, the kids that uh, had never spoken English. One of those kids yesterday on the train what kind of music are you listening to? You know, we were hitting the train on the way home together. It's like, yeah, that's it's a stupid little thing, right? But before before I before they were in my classroom, impossibility. It's not a stupid little thing, right? Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, I'm saying that's, that that's, that's a low real interaction thing. and the fact. And the, here's a point too, right? It's like a lot of times I'll do the same thing. Student comes in with headphones. You say, "What are you listening to?" And they're mm. shocked by the question because nobody's ever asked them that, <laughs> right? But you know, Tony, um, I'm just going to interrupt you here because I want to mm. make a connection not just between the part-time situation, but the real another pet peeve of mine, which are these limited-term contract positions. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Which how crazy is that? It's even almost crazier than the part-time thing because you're talking about you get a good teacher. Let's say you have results. You have um, something that's data-driven. You have empirical evidence that you have a good teacher. And by the way, there's another <laughs> whole thing is that there's no data really at most of these places. And when they do have data, the data is invalid. But you talk about having a good teacher and they can't teach more than, let's say, one day or they can't teach more than six classes because then they're moving into this full-time thing. You see these all the time where there are these fixed-term, full-time positions where somebody's going to be teaching at one school full-time, and it's like for three years, and it's non-renewable. So you think about it. You spend the first year in the job <laughs> learning, learning the job. The job. <laughs> you spent the second year kind of maybe doing the job, and the third year you're looking for a job. So out of three years, you get what? 100% one year. year. Yeah. yeah, you get one year. And then they'll do, or you get the other one, which is also equally weird, which is a three-year contract renewable by mutual agreement, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't know if it's going to be agreed upon, okay? And you end up, you know, and I know people who have these kind of contracts, and they're not told until maybe October, November that they're going to be renewed. And here's the flip side of how the system is actually... Um, even it's you think it's, it's got to be failure by design is that in Japan there's really been nothing called tenure track 
when you get you're hired at a full-time position and it's, there's positions are so few now you're given tenure upon you're being hired so you can't increase the hours of a really effective teacher who's a part-timer but you don't have any efficient way of judging whether or not somebody should be given a lifetime contract based on what an interview so i mean where's the the sanity in that and uh, when for the few full-time positions that um are these days are becoming available um they all universities almost never hire from within they never hire from their own part-time pool i mean you know, they might have a, a wonderful a great teacher um say well let's let's hire this person they almost never do that mm. and well there's also i think there's problems because there's been right of how the hiring is done and whether it's a really open system but you're right there usually they won't announce even right. to the part-timers exactly. we're looking for somebody um they don't tell anybody they, they don't they they just put the ad out somewhere and without saying to somebody hey why don't you take a stab at this mm-hmm and I, I think part of it is maybe because then they might embarrass the person. They think that the person would be shamed and then would have to quit. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's really it's... hard. You, know, you got to start like really trying to second guess and third guess and things. And again, that's, that's kind of where I throw up my hands. But um, it, with specifics that we were talking about, but just in general, um, so many hiring decisions themselves are just, you know, we look back and it's, it's just so... Unfa- you, know, you can't you know what well, exactly what were they thinking yeah my favorite one though was um you know if you look at some ads in some of the sites where universities published and my favorite one is something like this um looking for a professor associate professor assistant professor to teach introductory level english classes um speaking listening reading writing and toic presentation or toic preparation phd required mm-hmm. it's like excuse me <laughs> You know, why don't you say you're you're hiring a researcher who's going to have to teach these classes? <laughs> it's it's, but it's right. What what do you need a PhD for that? Hmm. And it, it's it's possible that this is at a school that's not famous for its research, and it's more of a teaching job. It's more of a teaching position. But people still want a PhD. Mm-hmm. And I don't. So you know, we can go on about the hiring. I think the hiring system in many ways represents um the pinnacle of how it's failure by design i think i was talking once with somebody and i was talking about how interviews i think are ineffective ways to assess people oh there's yeah there's a little bit a lot written uh, right about right that there's a lot of different right? ways you mm-hmm. can do this right and so mm-hmm. somebody said to me what are your ideas and i said well i gave one idea so why don't we have a meeting uh, and this person has to participate but i said i think the best idea is why don't we rent a car and have the person drive us to like the, the main central train station in the midst of traffic and watch how well they do and do are they calm and do they find the alternative routes and are they creative so that's just my little side <laughs> insanity but you're right the the hiring practices sometimes just don't seem to make sense and they make no sense and also some of the questions look around and the people who are in you know who have been hired to to do these things it's just it's just I, you, I, i'm at a loss i just don't even know what to say it's just over and over and over and over of uh, the worst possible decisions it's just yeah, well, part it of it drives you to despair. Well, part of the problem is that in a lot of ways we have people who have never left school, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I I think that you you know I'm very sure you can go to any university and find somebody who's never worked in the real world. 
They've gone elementary, junior high, high school, college, graduate school, and then got a university job. And that's all they know. And, you know, anytime you have a situation like a system that becomes closed and doesn't have any information coming into it, alternative viewpoints, you know that failure is bound to set in just basically by the lack of information and the lack of innovation. Yeah. And so, yeah, and yeah. yeah, exactly. No, that that hit nails it right on the head. It's like rather than hire somebody that's got does have fresh new ideas, can do something different, who can make things better, possibly, um, that look for someone who can fit into the existing dystopia. <coughs> Excuse me there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, that's a perfect example is where we worked before. That was a, a school mm. changing from a two-year junior college system to a four-year college, right? Mm -hmm. And the people who were, because they wanted to be, and this is when enrollments were declining significantly and schools realized that they had to compete for students and they had to find ways to create new programs that would be innovative and would attract new students. So who did they task with designing the new school? The faculty that was already there. That was just insane. These were people yeah, who had already who, driven it down into its you know state of pan, of, of right. emergency. Design a school that will be able to compete for a declining enrollment of students, be mm -hmm. innovative, and who do you give it to? People who had spent their entire careers in an environment that was non-competitive, right? They weren't experts. They didn't have any experience. They didn't have any knowledge. There was no fact finding. I think that occurred. So. Yeah, it's the the failure by design thing is it's I mean I think it's unintentional but the it's kind of like having natural selection reversed <laughs> <laughs> entropy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like um selective entropy or something that we're going to increase or, or like an inst institutional like OCD, you know, it's kind of like a, a this compulsion that they have to do these certain things even though, you know, all rational thought would push it the other way but they can't help making the wrong choice what a great term institution wait um <laughs> compulsion disorder icd <laughs> institutional compulsion disorder yeah so i think you know in in talking about this the there's that feeling i mean it's i think it's a deep feeling that m most educators feel throughout the world that it's hard to do our jobs and that if we had more contact, if the system were designed better, all of us could work better, work more efficiently. Um, and you have to be an educator to really understand that feeling. And if, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously going to be an educator. But I also know that it's the same thing if I talk to some of my friends who are outside education, they usually will tell you that they wish that management would get out of their way mm -hmm. so that they could mm -hmm. effectively and efficiently do their job. So when we talk about this failure by design, it's not just education. Mm. It's I think it's the nature of organizations. It's it, what is it? It was the Peter Principle, wasn't it? That idea that you if, rise to your level of well, if you're really competent, people will not move you out of your job. Right, and you are moved out of your job because you are not competent. So what do you mm -hmm. do? You end up becoming like management administration level. Mm. But it's difficult when. It's or, you know, again, failure by design. I think it's the MBA problem is that you're going to have somebody who goes through university and has never worked on an assembly line. 
mm-hmm. telling, mm-hmm. trying to figure out ways to improve efficiency. And I'm sorry, you know, there's, you got to be in the trenches. I, I've always found that people who have real experience doing the job and were good at doing the job and had reasonably good organizational skills and personal skills became very good managers and administrators. But, you know, I sometimes feel, I think a lot of people feel that that's not really the case most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we have failure by design in that sense also. Maybe it's just so, human beings. It might be, or something about the way we are not very good at building organizations or working together or something. But you're, you're right. It's not something that is specific to education. You see that a lot. I mean, hence the, the Dilbert comic strip, right? I mean, that's it. Uh, basically it. And um, yeah, it, so, you know, so what does that mean for us? It means that, um, yeah, uh, we're going to spend, inevitably, we're going to spend a certain percentage of our energy and uh, time doing our job, but we're going to have to accept and be aware that a lot of that, a lot of our energy and time is going to be spent actually having to fight to do our job. Mm. You know, how much do you have to do? And we talked about a little bit with the way the school culture and things. Some places make it easy. Some places really make it hard to do your job. Mm. Um, and um, hopefully you can find a, find a place where uh, uh, you don't have to waste too much of time, your, uh, too much of your energy fighting to do your job. Um, and we've all been there. We know what that feels like. Um, so, yeah, success is going to require somehow subverting the system. Hmm. And I, I just want to throw something else out yeah. here, Tony. I just, when you were talking, I just thought about this. Is when I was in college and I was had my part-time job I worked um, I was the janitor at the Newman Center <laughs> which hmm. is the I guess what the Catholic support would guess yeah program mm-hmm. for at universities and I have no real knowledge of Catholicism at all and I you know was working there and what they had these wonderful wonderful sisters who worked there and one of the sisters um was sister Beverly and I remember very, these were really sharp sharp people really cool really sharp which one would hope for if you were you know interacting with university students and i asked sister beverly i said i'm sorry i don't understand this concept of original sin and i think sister beverly said to me that original sin was the attempt to explain the inherent fallibility of systems and I yeah. Thought, yeah it's nice isn't it hmm. isn't that really nice and that is, I think, part of the key is that the failure by design is to elevate the system and the rules of the system and the system itself above the idea that there are people, goals, and objectives that need to be achieved. And I think part of the biggest problem here, at least in Japan, if somebody said, Charles, you know, what's your biggest criticism of the education system here, I would say it's the emphasis on the system, Mm. on the rules of how it's run, and that how it's run and the rules that exist are more important than dealing with the real issues, you know, making changes. And so in that sense, because of that, Tony, I agree completely, yes, failure by design. Yeah, that, that that sums it up really nicely. That that the original sin thing is is a is a keeper. That's oh, is that it's it's brilliant. It's brilliant and and uh, yeah. And what you what you what you just said about um, the the emphasis on the system. Yeah, and it's very easy to understand why in a society like this, um, there's such a big danger of that. It really lends itself to that specifically. 
Right. Um, it, there really yeah. is the, <clears throat> the cult of the system. Mm. It's interesting. We don't have, there's not the cult of personality here, mm. but there is a cult of the system. Yeah, very, yeah, great mm. observation. That's okay, good. well, that, that's my one for the next year, given <laughs> the likelihood. But maybe a good place to wrap up. What do you think? Anything else you yeah, want to add? Yeah, no, I think that, that's about it. You know, just being aware that that's there. you got to work around it. And um, also be aware that, um, you know, working around it and subverting the system is a real good way to get you fired. So don't try and do <laughs> don't try and do don't your try job to make too change. hard. Don't yeah. do don't do too good of a job because it may cost you your job. <laughs> well, maybe maybe not. It depends where you are, but depends point, where you are. Yeah. Right. The, but the best thing is is just do your job, and then don't get caught. <laughs> don't get don't get caught doing a good job. <laughs> don't. But get, there are the places. Secret. Right. And again. <laughs> If you know you're fortunate enough to be working at an institution organization that rewards you for doing your job, and mm -hmm. it's important that it rewards you for doing a good job in the way that you understand what it means to do a good job. And this is, I think, you know, I'm sorry, I said we'd finish, but this is also part of the failure by design, right? Is that what I consider to be a good job might not be what the the organization right. considers to be a good that's job. That's very, that's that's very, 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 very true. And I talked about again. The last thing they want is true fluency. Mm. The last thing you want to do is, is um, you know, kids at the end of your class going out there and being able to communicate in English like native speakers. Right. Or do does any country, right, actually yeah. want educated citizens? Mm. Oh, well, that's who are aware, right? <laughs> but that's the failure by design there. And with there that note, and with that note, and Good. on that note, I'm Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. And we are two teachers talking. And at all those places, dot com, gmail dot com, and uh, and on Skype, two teachers talking. Yeah, we can be found. Just remember, append something onto two teachers talking, <laughs> and it will probably get to us. There we go. Okay, and we're rep winding up, getting close to that wonderful period coming up. Yeah, excellent. It's, it's the time. Summer. Sweat away. Okay, be well, Tony. Alrighty. Bye.